There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. And they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they'd been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This whole gospel is a mystery. The whole gospel of John is a mysterious document written in some part to be mysterious. It wasn't designed to be a biography of Jesus or a historical timeline. It was the last gospel written, as far as we know, of the four gospels, canonical gospels we have, that is the gospels that were chosen to be accepted into the New Testament. And it begins with a thing called the prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can, and people have, written doctoral theses on just that first verse, the complexity of it. And we're going to hear that reading on Christmas Eve, if you happen to be here, because it's John's version of the birth story that both Luke and Matthew have, completely different to each other. And then John's completely different again. In fact, it doesn't even sound like a birth story. But it's his version of it. It's full of mystery. And in it, we have this narrative of John the Baptist. It's interspersed with this poem or hymn that we call the prologue, which many writers think existed long before it was written down in this context and, and was just added in as a way of making, uh, as, as, as making sense of what the gospel writer wanted us to tell. But this story about John is just as much full of mystery. It begins, there was a man sent from God and all of us who went to Sunday school, the answer is Jesus. It's always Jesus, isn't it? If you're in Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. Well, that would make sense, because isn't that what we expect? Isn't Jesus the one sent from God? There is a man sent from God, and his name is John. That's it, just John. John who? Who is this guy? Why is this the beginning? Why is this linked to this massive 
retelling, in another way of talking about the prologue is the retelling of the Genesis story. In the beginning was the word. Why this guy woven into this story? Well, we know who he isn't. He's not the Messiah, he's not the prophet, and he's not Elijah. So who is he? Well, he's not interested in telling us at all. In fact, what the only thing he says about himself, he's the voice of someone else. I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. It's as mysterious as the prologue. He wasn't the light, but he pointed to the light. What's the light? Well, the whole gospel is trying to sort of unpack that, but it's not that clear and it's not that obvious and it's going to spend, you're going to spend a lifetime in meditation and contemplation trying to figure out what it means. But more importantly at this point, why the hell is he baptising without any authority? What is going on? Why is he messing things up? There's rules and there's ways of doing things and he just is ignoring them. And he doesn't answer when they ask him a fairly straightforward question. Who are you? Well, this is who I'm not. And then I'm this sort of voice and whatever that means. And then, why are you doing this? He doesn't answer again. He says, I am baptising with water. Well, they already know that. They're there, they can see. Why is it answered that way? Why is it such a mystery? I mean, what actually is this thing that we call baptism that ends up naming this man, who we only know as John, so they add a bit to it, because he does a lot of baptising, so, well, he's not a baker and he's not a butcher, so he's John, well, I don't know, the baptising guy? That's all we know. It's just a simple word and it means washing. If you tell your kid to go and wash their hands before dinner, you would tell them to go and baptise themselves before dinner. That's the way the word was used. But it began to mean, over time, a special rite, a special ceremony that you do as a ritual. Ancient people, it appears, baptised themselves when they wanted to finish something or begin something, when they wanted to leave something behind or start something new. And you can understand why then it's an immersion, the idea that you go dunk straight into the water and then come out again. One thing is done and another thing begins. Still today, Orthodox Jewish women uh, use the special bathing pool called the mikveh. When they finish their period, they have to bathe ritually in the mikveh. It's been... uh, We've, we can trace mikvahs back at least 3,000 years in the archaeological records and possibly longer. And in many Orthodox Jewish communities today, they will build a mikvah into their building. So the idea of beginning, ending something and beginning something is sort of central to us, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a recalibration. It's a kind of... I, years ago, I, I worked for a while in a factory making cars and... I was always worried because my job was to put the bits together that hold the wheel together. And I wasn't very conscientious and I was always worried that somebody would drive off in one of my cars without anybody checking it and the wheel would fall off. Uh, But I used to have to use this torque bar and every couple of days I used to have to get the engineer to come and check it to make sure it was recalibrated to do everything the right way. And, And so in a sense baptism is this idea of recalibrating. Or if you're a musician it's the retuning of the instrument so that it sounds sweet and does its job and makes good music. Or rebooting. 
if you own a computer, that's the best thing you can ever do. When your computer doesn't work, turn it off, turn it back on again and hope for the best. Have you seen, you remember that, there's a New Yorker cartoon, a famous New Yorker cartoon, God and an angel are looking down on the earth and God's looking very concerned and the angel says, have you tried turning it on and back off and back on again? It's the idea that we are redoing things. And don't we need it? Certainly the people of Jesus' time did, because of John's time did, because in Mark, the gospel reading we had last week, all the people of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem are coming out. They recognise the, the need for rebooting and restarting. And we're about to do that now because we know that even though the calendar is an invention that we made up, January the 1st does in our minds allow us to rethink how we will live next year. We hope that we will live without the issues of COVID because of vaccines coming. And all the other things that we would love to leave behind and the things that we'd like to take with us, all the things that we decided we would do January last year that we haven't quite gotten around to, we can re-decide to do them in January next year and do it, try again. It's a, a refitting. Now the church has gotten into this habit of baptism and, and we tend to want to baptise people only once and there's lots of doctrinal and theological reasons that, that are quite good but I don't know whether I wouldn't mind doing this a bit more often. Like, I need to recalculate and recalibrate and reboot much more frequently. But there's a lot more mystery in this baptism stuff. Because John says, Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. Somehow there's a truth among us and we, we don't recognise it. It's actually here, present, but we can't see it. It's not something new that we're waiting for, which is part of the Advent story, the waiting. It's not waiting for something to come from someone. It's waiting for something that's already here, according to the Gospel of John, according to John, the one they call the Baptist. And it doesn't get much sense that he's got any more of an idea than anyone else who that one is, but he's here, or she is here. They are here, among us. It's as if there's this deeper thing that's going on that we're not quite aware of. And it's so profound that I, John, the one you're calling the Baptist, it'll be like as if I was a kind of... Imagine a huge, rich palace and I'm just like the lowest of the low slaves. That's the difference between what I'm talking about and what's about to come. It's a beautiful old song by the Water Boys from the 80s that, that talks about living by the river and thinking that's everything, but out there is the sea. This is the river, that's the sea. And it's so profound, this story of what's coming and what's already present, that it will be a little bit like what I'm doing, which is baptising in water, the recalibrating, the, the changing of things, the the rebooting, but it will be immersed in something much deeper, much more powerful. It will be immersed in a Holy Spirit. There's no the. It's, most of the translations say he will baptise you in the Holy Spirit, but it's not there. It's just Holy Spirit. It's as if there's, it's not something that you can identify, but it's something that is profound and everywhere and present. It's as if 
what is going to happen, what is already present among us, will immerse you in the deep experience of being radically part of the whole. You will begin to discover who you are in the universe. And a huge amount of our literature and our films and our music is about our disconnection with the world, our sense that we don't really know how to be present here. When you see a dog with nothing to do, mostly the dog will just lie down and have a nap. When I've got nothing to do, I panic about all the things I really should be doing. And I think about the kind of person I should be and I turned out not to have been and yet is there any time for me to be that person? And, uh, then I need a nap because I'm exhausted. You know, we, we don't actually feel like we fit. We're not connected. This is why we're so interested in indigenous spiritualities from around the world. There is a sense where the connection of the world is so much deeper for those ancient spiritualities that modern indigenous people seem to be able to reconnect to. A wonderful story that comes into my mind all the time and it's just popped in now and it's some friends of mine ran an organisation in Alice Springs and they invited people from across the country who were interested in indigenous spirituality and it's, it's not, a, I was going to say it's connection to the land but it's, that's, it's much, much deeper than that. It is the land, it is country. Anyway, they got these guys together and they all got in a troop carrier, an old Toyota, and they took one of the aunties with them, uh, one of the traditional owners of the, of the region out of Alice Springs, and they said, we're going out to country and we're going to experience what it's like to be, uh, to, uh, to, to a little degree, what it's like to be immersed in indigenous spiritualities. Oh, great. So they all got in, all their gear, and they went off. And they went out about two kilometres out of Alice Springs, and the auntie said, stop. So get out. We all got out. They went and sat in the sand hill. And they, everyone looked around and said, well, the town's just over there. We can just about see it. Um, why are we going out into country? And she said to them, it's all country. This is, this is as good as anywhere. Like, if you can't see it here, she didn't say this, but if you can't see it here, you're not going to see it 50 kilometres from now when you feel like you're an adventurer. It's just, it's everywhere. Shut up and sit down. And they did. And she didn't say anything. And they sat there for an hour in the, in the sun with the flies. She didn't say anything. They all got back in the troop carrier. They went somewhere else. It's right here among us. It's here and we're missing it. Look, we're being asked to do. The mystery comes back to the opening words of this passage. There was a man sent from God. Just a man, an ordinary person. It could have been a woman, but you know, the Bible, it's all very misogynistic and all that. But we can ignore that bit. A, a person sent from God. Who? What kind of person? Well, his name's, well, it doesn't really matter what his name is. It's just a person. It, it could be any one of us. Like all of us. Like, what if it's among us all the time now? What if you and the person next to you, there was a person sent from God and her name was Yvonne or Ian or Trevor what if then oh wait a minute, now I might be able to start to begin just a tiny amount to see, to really look, what if the whole earth and all its creatures us that think we know everything and the ones that don't talk 
What if all of them together was the creature sent by God? What if everything is infused with that? Maybe that's what John meant when he said this one would come and he would baptise into a Holy Spirit, a set-apart, different, unusual, a, a, a way of being and seeing that has never been and seen before. Well, I, I, that would be a good Advent for me if I could get there. And maybe this Advent, it's not over yet. There's one more week. And then there's, up till Christmas, it's still Advent. Maybe this year, I will see a man, a woman, an animal, a plant, a rock, sent from God. And I will be infused by it and with it. Maybe this year.